This is Linnea, and you're listening to Without Your Head, which I've done in a lot of movies. Have a good day, and stay scared. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal. I'm joined by Todd Sheets, prolific horror director. His current film, Clownado, is out there now. And it's very cool to have you here. Well, thank you, brother. I really appreciate the support. And uh, I love being here. You know, doing shows like this, you know, you guys really keep things going for the horror scene out there. You know, I've, I've watched it blossom and grow, uh, you know, podcasts and radio shows and things that really stick to the genre and i think without you guys it's harder to get the information out there because there's just so much going on and so many things in the horror community that are kind of growing and growing that having guys like you out there helping us you know independent horror film guys really means something because you know we're pretty ignored by the mainstream and a lot of people wouldn't know about our stuff if it wasn't for you so thank you for that well, I appreciate that, and you're welcome. And uh, it's fun to come on, especially you know if I see something I really dig, and and uh, tell people, hey, check this out. And I'm glad people you know listen enough to uh, to want to check it out. Uh, when we started in 2006. I don't think there was a podcast was even a term. It was just like internet radio. So yeah, it's really yeah. Being blown up. Uh, along those lines, though, because you said um, it's harder, you know, it's hard to get people to notice things. And you've been making movies since the 80s. Is it yeah. easier now to for someone to make a movie, but also harder for it to get noticed? I think it is. And, and you know, if, if I hadn't started in the 80s in the VHS boom, I would be in trouble today, I think, just because, like, and I, and I don't mean to sound weird or negative when I say it, but there's like, you know, 5,000 cell phone Scorsese's per mile, it seems like nowadays, and... Uh-huh. Uh, Every time someone, you know, and I love that because there's also a lot of creativity, but at the same time, there's also a lot of stuff. And some of the stuff, you know, it just, we all have to learn. And when I first started, I, luckily, some people took me under their wing and helped me because my stuff was horrible when I I was a kid, though, you know, and I didn't know anything like certain technical aspects of filmmaking. I'd just been shooting things on Super 8 film. And, um, you know, you have to kind of learn your craft first nowadays because there's so much. And so... You know, I always tell people, hey, make some short films with your friends. Um, Unlike me, don't allow them to get distributed all over the world because I was (laughs) nuts. But, uh, yes, make some short films with your friends. Get out there. Do some, you know, research. Read every book you can on the subject and actually figure out. Like, not everyone has to be a director. There are other things that people find that they might love to do more than that. But you know how it is. Like, everybody's a director. And then it's like, well... 
but you don't, you're not really directing and you're not really, you don't really understand until then the marketplace is glutted full of like, you know, thousands and thousands of, of movies are crossing a desk of any given distributor and it's overwhelming. I mean, they, how can they watch 4,000 movies in a month? How really can they do it? They can't. Yeah. And, um, so stuff's getting lost out there and it's hard, but at the same time you got YouTube, you got a lot of cool outlets where, you know, you could go out there and you can get opinions and you can show your stuff and you can get better and you can work harder. And, uh, that's something I never had. You know, I, I, I would have to get feedback from really bad, mean people <laughs> telling me if I ever made another film, they'd kill my mother. True story. Really? So I was like, okay. Well, uh, I thought the internet was bad, but yeah, that's a pretty bad story. Yeah, back in the day, man, the, the, you know, there were still people, only then they published it, you know, and so it would be out there in a magazine or something, and you'd be like, wow, I guess I really should stop. But, um, it's, you know, I, I think it's, it's a blessing and a curse. It's easier to do something mm-hmm. because even back in the day on video, it was almost impossible to shoot and edit anything and get it done right. And yeah. it was so hard with no money, you couldn't do it. And uh, it was, like, really difficult. But now, you know, it's like you could do it. But the problem is, is it's kind of become too easy so you have to kind of balance that and and i'm just i mean i'm i I never want to come across like i'm being negative or mean when i say this stuff because it sounds that way sometimes especially when you're typing it but it's not meant that way it's meant more like look man you're up against a huge amount of obstacles so do all you can to take to have the advantage so that people look at your stuff and go, wow, it's really good looking. It really looks nice. It's got this, it's got that. And even now, man, I got people saying my stuff looks like trash every day. And even big budget movies, people say that looks like trash. So you can't really win, but you just do the best you can and, uh, and learn what you're going to do before you jump in with both feet. Take, take some time to, you know, take, take a year, take a couple of years just to learn the basics with your friends or whatever, make a bunch of short films and then go out and tackle a feature and see what you could do. I mean, I, I want everyone to follow their dreams and do the best they can and, and try to, you know, just to, to add to the genre, you know, because it's great to see new blood out there and it's great to see new ideas and fresh like perspectives on, on filmmaking. And I love to see that. So I, I urge everyone to go out and do it. Just learn what you're doing a little bit before you jump in, just so that you have a, at least a snowball's chance in hell of getting distribution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and shorts are—I uh, think they've risen in popularity over the f- uh, last few years. And I think part of it's like festivals, and there's platforms now where people could see shorts. It used to be if you made it, like what would happen to it? It'd just be kind of gone. And uh, right. even like Amazon and stuff, sure. But you know, you wouldn't like like you're saying though. You wouldn't want to just make something with your friends. It's kind of just for fun and get it on Amazon. But, you know, you know, eventually you could even put your, your shorts somewhere where people could see it. Well, it's true. Uh, you know, my early work, I was kind of an idiot. I, uh, my friends and I used to make these movies and we got to where we were making feature length stuff, you know, 80 minute stuff. And uh, basically I allowed it to get distribution because when, when someone that, you know, you idolize basically says, Hey man, I will, I will take this and I will put this out. And in my case, it was David Dakota. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, you know, I love what you're doing and I'll put this stuff out. And, you know, I, I was really blown away. I was really blown away. And so of course we allowed all of our old stuff to get distribution and people are like, Oh, why did you do that? That was pretty awful. And I'm like, yeah, it was. But you know, when you're a kid, you don't realize how awful it is until you really look at it. And you're like, Oh, that's pretty awful. But there was something there that he saw that he was like, Hey, there's something here that shows some promise that's, and the effects are pretty good or the lighting or whatever. And he kind of liked it. 
the quality wasn't the best. I mean, we were shooting this stuff on anything we could grab, you know, anything we could find. And I know it wasn't perfect, but I tell you, you know, his, uh, his guidance really meant a lot to us and really helped us. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a, it was a very, uh, it was, a, it was the best of times. I'll tell you that, that VHS boom, because there were so many of us that were allowed to kind of come out and, and get distribution and, you know, get a little taste of what it's like to have your films out there worldwide for mm-hmm. better and for worse. But, um, it was a, it was a magical time. So I, I think nowadays you're right. Short films can do that. I think YouTube is an excellent opportunity for people to see your work and and give you some feedback on it so that you can work on things you know before it goes full on and and i think it's a i think it's a a much better scene in that regard plus you know these conventions have film festivals for short films and Mm -hmm. i mean it's a it's it's a lot easier to to i think get some kind of exposure for your craft and and that's a good thing yeah and even some goof like me i have a a short film at the festivals right now well, I love that. I mean, well, you know, that's a good thing. I'm glad you're doing that because, you know, you're obviously really into horror and what better voice for the horror genre than people who love it. I mean, I'd rather have everybody that loves horror make a short film than have these guys that are just doing it to make a dollar fifty because they're like, oh, right. man, you know, we can make a horror film and make our money back quick because those guys mm-hmm. will buy anything. I've heard that so many times and it makes me mad because I'm like, well, that's kind of a crummy way to look at people, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, let's throw anything on with, uh, you know, with football on it because those fools will buy anything. Well, <laughs> right. it's just kind of a, b- a bad attitude. It's kind of like, yeah. God dang. Yeah, yeah. I've even heard that on the show, and it's I'm always thinking like, well, at least lie and just say like you you really like horror movies, some. But I've heard that you know, like I've heard that you know, people come on they say, oh well, you know, they say horror movies are easier to make money, especially if it's like low, no budget. And I'm just thinking, what a terrible answer to give on like a horror podcast that you think horror fans are listening to and, and want to you know check your movie out. Yeah, it's kind of disrespectful to a, to a person. I mean, it's like you know, well. You know, horror fans aren't like that, really. I mean, mm-hmm. the thing I like about horror fans is they will give you a chance. Well, okay, most of them, I'll say 90%, would give yeah. you a chance. And then, you know, they know what they like. And if you if if they feel like you're not sincere or you're just trying to make a buck off of them, they'll go. Because I find that people in the horror community and science fiction – probably the most intelligent people, you know, that I run across. Now you've got your crazy party animals. It's like, well, yeah, dude. and they're running around, but the, mostly I'm telling you, these guys are the most intelligent people. That, and, and I love that because that's, that's how I've grown up. You know, I've always been really into the genre and I always wanted to, you know, advance the genre. And it's great that there's so many, you know, intelligent people in this community who, really just want to do the same thing in their own way and and who love the stuff so i i just love that you know of course with everything as it grows there's growing pains and you get a few you know people who are too take it way too serious but uh other than that you know i think it's a really good i think i think the horror scene is my favorite of all the fandoms yeah the comic book fans drive me nuts these days they're so fickle and weird and I mean, when I grew up, I don't know about you, but like we had like Mego action figures and all these things. And yes. <laughs> DC and Marvel were all together. There was no separation. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they were two different companies, but as a kid, you loved them all, you know, and now, yeah. golly, the, the comic book fandom is just, it's ruthless, man. It's brutality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's not my thing at all. So 
I'm so happy about the horror fans are not like that. You know, they're not like, oh, you like Freddy and I like Jason. Oh man, you're a piece of crap. And then they <laughs> start fighting and running. Thank God it's not like that with, yeah. with us. You know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm a I'm a wrestling guy too, but wrestling is the same way. There's uh, wrestling fans like hate each other if they if they <laughs> like some other promotion or or they just kind of look down on other wrestling fans. It's very it's very bizarre. It almost makes you not want to be a wrestling fan. It is. It's weird because I'm like, well, you guys don't understand. These guys all actually pretty much work together and know each other, and it's just a business, and there's no reason to get crazy about it, you know? Yeah. Just enjoy Just enjoy what you enjoy, and, and everyone have a good time. That's what it's all about. So you said that when you gave advice, you said uh, to re- you know, read stuff. and So when you start out as a director, like, what would you, what would you call like, your directing school? Like, how did you learn to do what you, what you do? Well, I learned because I got kicked around a lot. I didn't, <laughs> but luckily I had people who took me under the wing, like Dave Takoto and J.R. Bookwalter, and and I got to be, you know, uh, I got to assist on other films like Child's Play Three, and I got to oh, do nice. some stuff on a Romero film, and just little things here and there to try to learn my craft as best I could. And uh, so that was that was how I came up. I didn't have all these books, you know, uh, they weren't necessarily that easy to get to for me. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, it was kind of rough in that regard, but nowadays there's no reason. I mean, you know, I, one of the things I, I tell people a lot, you know, there's 50,000 people on YouTube telling you how to do things mm-hmm. and that that's good and bad because just because it's their idea and it doesn't make it a great idea. And, uh, you know, sometimes they're wrong. Some of these YouTube videos and these kids watch that and they take it as God, you know? So I'm like, look, go get a book called film directing shot by shot. It's a big, huge blue book. I call it the Bible of directing. It will tell you all the basics and then some. And then, like, from there, there's, like, books like Painting with Light, which kind of teach you how to do lighting like they did in the noir movies. And that's a really great book because the guy who wrote it was, like, the master of lighting. He was the one everyone went to in the, you know, from the 30s to the 50s and all through there. And uh, he was the master. He knew more than anybody, you know, how to do that stuff. And that's the kind of stuff, uh, Alton is his last name, Alton. And, uh, he wrote that, uh, painting with light and you, you really need to look at those kind of books and start learning that kind of stuff. And then you could do anything. I mean, if you could light one of those noir movies, you could light anything, you know, you got your, everyone talks about three point lighting, but I'm like, man, that thing takes it way beyond. So it's kind of advanced, but at the same time, it's not. I mean, with today's technology, you can jump right in and do some of that stuff. So mm-hmm. I urge everyone to do that and to get, you know, 100% of their heart and soul into, into what they do and to do that and to get these yeah. books. And, you know, there's, you know, feature filmmaking at used car prices and, you know, things like that. And, and even books that aren't maybe about where to set a camera, even books that might just be about different directors like a David Lynch book or a Uh Lucio Fulci book read those just because it shows you especially if it's your favorite director and it'll kind of show you how it breaks down Mm -hmm. and how they do these things and why they do them and how like they maybe have a style and I don't want anyone to steal that style but like it'll show you how Mm -hmm. each one has a distinct style and how they got that way and why they got that way yeah I think all that's important yeah. yeah, I've had uh, friends, you know, locally who make movies and, uh, 
it, uh, a couple of them told me that they learned how to direct from uh, listening to commentary tracks. And it was a similar idea what you just said, though. You know, it would be the director talking about a movie they made and, you know, why they did certain shots. And, you know, same, same idea, only, you know, a different medium through commentary instead of uh, reading the book. Right, right. And that's really good. I mean, I think that's, I think that's smart as well. I would say get the books and the commentary only because the books will teach you things like the line of action and the director's line and composition and, you know, things about basic, just basic things to, to, to make sure your audience isn't like disturbed by the images to the point where they can't enjoy the story. So, uh-huh. that's, you know, and when I started out, there was nothing like that. I didn't know what the hell a line of action was. I was like, I'm just going to shoot something and try to make it look like this. But yeah. Yeah, you you find out that, you know, the the line of action is something that's very important because it's jarring to an audience if you mess it up. And sometimes you want that for an effect, like you'll be trying to disorient your audience and that's cool, but mm-hmm. you don't want that when you're just having a conversation over breakfast, you know. <laughs> right, right, yeah. It's interesting you brought up uh, noir earlier cuz uh, in Clownado, see, I'm ex pro here bring it back to Clownado is uh, the beginning was kind of noir like and it was interesting because it's a combination of noir, but like uh, modern stuff too. Because you have the green lighting instead, you know, instead of like a uh, black and white. And uh, and even just the way they was talking was kind of old school, but yet with like weird terms and then swears and stuff. And all that worked for me. I dug it. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I've caught a little bit of hell for that, but what it was basically was it was kind of like my homage to those movies. I love noir movies. I've got such a huge collection of them. I mean, you wouldn't even believe how many of those I've got. I love them so much. <laughs> and I just feel like it's kind of lost nowadays. Like the last time it seemed like in the eighties, they were trying to do these Neo, you know, kind of modern noir movies with the neon lights and everything. And those were great. Every once in a while they'll come out with one now, but it's overall, it just doesn't seem to infiltrate or affect lighting as much or anything, or even storytelling. And, I miss it so much. And so I'm like, you know, the basic premise of the film, the love triangle that goes sour was perfect to do something with some noir. And I wanted it to be like the clowns are stuck in this time warp kind of thing. I mean, they're in this circus, they're doing their own thing. They're wise guys and they just don't pay attention. Like they're lost. It almost, I wanted it to almost seem like they were out of touch with modern day. That's what I was trying to do. And and, you know, some people attacked me for that, but I think it was kind of cool. And, and we really did some neat lighting, and I was really proud of the overall look. And we kind of carried that lighting through the whole film. Everyone's like, why you got to use so much green? I'm like, well, <laughs> honestly, it's because it's one of the colors we had. So it's just yeah. like that's what we use. But uh-huh. also because I kind of had an idea in my mind instead of a bunch of reds popping like we use red when there's a reason to use red, but otherwise I wanted to kind of be more green and blue, more kind of a little more like the darker colors, a little more organic. And then like when you have something crazy, you'll pop some red in there or whatever. And, you know, of course I'm inspired by so many things, um, <clears throat> Italian horror cinema mm-hmm. of the seventies and eighties and, you know, the comic books that I loved growing up and, you know, just all these different things. So that all creeps in there as well. And I want it to be visually just, colorful and and i want to try new things with lighting i'd never done and and you know one guy wrote me this horribly nasty letter and said why don't you learn how to light a movie and 
he's like, you know, the damn thing is so dark you can't see anything. And I wrote back and said, well, maybe you shouldn't be watching a film on your cell phone. And probably it's a pirated copy. (laughs) So, you know, because when you watch the film, and I've seen it in a million film festivals and everything else, it's not dark at all. But the, the, the fact is we actually overlit the thing. We had to use a lot more lighting techniques and a lot more uh, setups than normal mm-hmm. just because then we would darken everything in camera as we were filming it. We would iris down and make everything darker. But when you try to make things look dark like that and overshadow, you have to actually overlight it or it's all grainy and it's nasty yeah. looking. So, yeah. So we had to like do a lot more lighting than we normally do just to get it to look like that. And it's the yeah. funniest, most ironic part of it, you know, uh, to, but I, I got that book I was telling you about, you know, the, the painting with light. And I was like, Oh my God, this is just, it was, it was like a revelation in so many ways. And, um, and so I put a lot of those techniques to work. Uh, a lot of times when I'm making movies like this, I, it's, I do some experimental stuff, you know, and I, I try something different on each movie. And if you don't learn something on every movie you make, in my opinion, it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of, of a good opportunity because uh, if I don't learn something new every single day that I'm on mm-hmm. the set, I feel like that day was a waste of my time and everyone else's, and I feel like I've, I've let everyone down because I have to try to push myself further each day just so I can learn something new, and that's what you know the noir aspect of this movie was all about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I dig the, the color totally worked for me, and I, it's not – the, the dark thing, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, I always think the interesting lighting like that with the greens and stuff, it adds a lot of uh, production value to uh, to a lower-budget movie. And it just makes it interesting. And you said comic books kind of reminded me of some of the stuff like in Creepshow or something, you know, the the weird colors in the background and stuff. It, I, I dug it. Well, man, I really appreciate that very much. You know, it's uh, it was a difficult movie to make, Clownado was, honestly. Um, when we first started filming, I was kind of panicking because we had done an Indiegogo. And, of course, at the same time, it's weird because when I do an Indiegogo, I kind of look around and see if my peers are doing Indiegogos or who I know that's doing one, and I'll kind of hold off till they're almost done or done. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're kind of around the bend or whatever, and they've got what they need, then I'll come in and do mine. didn't really work that way for me on this one because I announced mm-hmm. ours, and then, like, and within like a few days, there was five more that were my friends doing it. And then like there was 10 within two weeks. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, this is a very small pie. This is micro budget <laughs> film world here. And we're making it even smaller mm-hmm. because we're all against each other. Even though we're all friends, we're not really against each other, but we're right. all trying to get money at the same time. It's, just, mm-hmm. it's ludicrous. So when we first started, we only had like $7,000. And, and I'm like, oh my God, the script... I mean, everyone that read the script, like all my friends in LA and everything, they're telling me, Todd, you're going to need 150 grand to do this movie. And I'm thinking I can do it on 50. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it started with seven. I mean, I'm like, what the hell? And I'm thinking, Oh God, I hope a lot more starts coming in. And it didn't come in that fast. It was trickling in. But the good thing, like if we, if we had to go buy a light that got broke or we had to buy, you know, something to film on for God's sakes, the stock, you know, the, so we were able to go get more of that as that the money would trickle in and we just, uh, okay, well, we got to go get, and some of the effects we, you know, I had to pay for like three times because we had an effects team that just didn't know that particular style of effects. And, and the ball got dropped a little bit. I, I loved, you know, those people as human beings, but they dropped the ball. And mm-hmm. so then I'd have to go get the stuff again and do it again. And then I, sometimes I'd even have to prep the effects myself. Um, <clears throat> and, it was it was kind of difficult because when you're doing that and you have no money and you're like oh my god what am I gonna do I gotta 
do this effect again. Yeah. And then you get, you know, it was just a really rough shoot in so many ways, my friend, in so mm-hmm. many ways. Yeah. Along those lines, um, is that hard as an independent uh, a filmmaker to kind of balance between working with people you like and you maybe like to have around and people that, um, you know, are, are better at the job? Well, it's, it's the thing is, I'm in the Midwest, you know, I was filming a lot of this in the Midwest and um, from Bone Hill Road, we shot in different places. We also shot in L.A. a little bit. And so I was able to do the transformation effects because Joe Castro out in L.A. knew exactly how to do those and mm-hmm. was itching to do it again. And so it worked out. But here it's a different situation. I mean, there's not that kind of a industry yet. I mean, there's really talented people here, but there's some things that just they haven't done or don't know how to do. And, you know, you can't really get mad about that because it's just a, why would they ever need to, you know, it's just not their thing. They, I mean, they know how to make zombies, you know, that's what they do around here. So in that regard, yeah, I mean, there's people I love working with and it sucks whenever I have to like figure something else out. But mm-hmm. it, I think in the case of Clownado, it was such an ambitious film and like, let me give you a, for instance, on the day of the set, and you'll crack up, but this is obviously, now I can laugh about it, but at the time I was having a meltdown. But uh, I get a tap on the shoulder. One night we're, we're out, we're setting up lighting, it's dusk. It's dusk, and we're getting all the lighting ready because it's a night shoot. we got all these extras there, probably about 40 extras, I think, and somewhere in there, between 30 and 40. And, um, you know, the, the cast is there. I've got two of the cast who live in Florida, and it's their last night on the set. They're going back, and they're not coming back because they've been up here three times. So this is their last weekend. And so we're filming, and, and we film like three or four days because everyone has regular jobs, so we can't mm-hmm. shoot like straight through. So here we are. We're sitting there. We're ready to go. Um, we're getting everything, you know, getting the electrical out. Tap on the shoulder. Hey, um, you know those props? Yeah. Well, the prop guy's wife or ex-wife, they're going to get back together, I think. And the, the prop guy had to quit the movie and I'm going, okay, great. So we don't have these props. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> okay. So the prop guy quits because it's his ex wife. That's getting back with him. Doesn't like him doing movies for whatever reason that I've, I've, I've encountered that a lot, to be honest. Um, so he's gone and all of our props are MIA. So there's no props that we needed for that night. Okay, well, round up what you can and let's try to make it work. Okay, so then someone takes the damn uh, actual fire extinguisher from the building that we're filming outside of. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's real, and if we break that, it's, it's my butt. It's, you know, the other one, the guy worked for the fire department, so he was going to give us a dummy and, and have some fog shoot out of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, that's out. So then we had to figure that out. So then I'm kind of thinking about that while I'm continuing to set up lighting with, cause I'm hands on. I do this stuff with the crew. I'm not just like, go do this. So we're setting up lights and we're, you know, talking next thing I know, tap, tap, tap. Hey, um, you know, special effects for tonight. Uh, those haven't been prepped. I'm like, hold on a minute. These, these people, these extras are supposed to die tonight and we have no prep for the effects. How does, how are they going to die? I don't know, but we have no prep for the effects. And this is, you know, Amanda was the producer and I felt so sorry for her because she had to come up and keep tapping me and telling me this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, oh my God. So this is a scene in the movie that required our, our little person, um, the midget wrestler that we had hired. He was going to come in and do this character, Shrinking. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. So he was, he was late and I was like kind of sweating a little bit. So I'm like, man, he needs to get here because he's in these scenes and he's in the scenes with the people who are from Florida. 
And so then I get a tap on the shoulder. Yeah, I'm shrinking ink isn't going to make it. What do you mean? And he's not going to be here tonight. So what do, you, what do you mean? He's in a different state. He's wrestling. But you just talked to him like five days ago. Yeah, yeah, he decided he had to go wrestle. Okay, so we have no shrinking ink, no special effects, no props, and I've got all these extras that have driven some of them five and six hours to be in this film, and then I've got these two people who are going back to Florida in the morning. So I had to figure out how to save all of that on the spot and not completely destroy the, the story or the flow-through of the script. It was a real pain, and when you encounter that, it, it kind of throws you off as a director because you're just trying to direct. But in a low-budget thing like this, you've got all this other stuff going on. Now, on a bigger budget, you probably had a million people in between there to buffer that and figure it out with you or for you. But on a micro-budget film, it was all on me. And so that happened a lot. Like, that happened more than I can tell you. Probably over 50% of the shoot, that kind of thing was going on on Clownado for some reason. It was just, like, cursed. Yeah. And uh, so the fact that we got it done at all is a miracle. And, and when I watched it finally for the first time, and I, I purposely went away for a week from it, and then I watched it, and I just was like, you know, <laughs> there's a story here. It held together. <laughs> uh, you know? Yeah. So, and, uh, and great gore. You're, all the gore effects are, and also fun, which um, that's what I like about your movies is that they're fun. They're not like mean spirited. Like, you know, there's obviously people are getting killed and stuff, but but it's in a fun way. And I personally like that in, in a horror movie. It's uh, So I don't know if that, that's something that, that, that you dig in horror movies. Yeah, you know, I, 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 what I try to do is I try to make a movie that's entertaining, you know, yeah. and there's, there's movies that are gorier and there's movies that are nastier. Mm -hmm. And there's movies that disturb the hell out of people. And you know what? There's a place for those because a, a movie like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer yeah. is a stunning work of art. Do mm -hmm. I want to watch it every other day? No, I don't because I don't want to feel bad or have to take a shower. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I, that's not my thing. So uh -huh. I personally now, I like serious horror movies. Of course I do. Um, mm -hmm. And like Bolchie stuff is pretty serious, but there's always a little sly wink in there. And for Clown Nato, it was the first time we went totally out. And like Bone Hill Road was more of a serious movie. And it was really tough to do. And, and I was trying to tell a, a good story. And, and for this one, I just wanted something lighthearted and goofy and it's supposed to be cheesy and fun. And it's supposed to be kind of a throwback to those movies that were kind of just bonkers, you know, every once in a while you'd see a movie like forbidden zone or, or, uh, you know, killer clowns from outer space even was pretty, pretty bonkers. They just had yeah. a lot more money, you know, and, but I like that kind of thing once in a while too. So I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, there's a place for every kind of horror. And one of the main things about me, and if you've seen quite a few of my films, you'll know this, is I kind of want every one of my movies to be different, but mm -hmm. still have that extreme entertainment style. Yeah. So, like, Bone Hill Road is way different than Dreaming Purple Neon, and that's way different than House of Forbidden Secrets. And this movie is way different from all of those. Mm -hmm. It's just, let's try something new each time. Let's try to, and if it doesn't work, hey, we gave it our best shot. We'll you know, maybe come back to that style later when we've done, when we learn more about it. But let's at least try. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, with, yeah, you're right. With the, you know, a lot of people are giving me hell about that too. You know, I don't know what they're expecting when they get a movie like Clownado. I guess they're expecting like, <laughs> yeah, it's like a know, Serbian Citizen film King. part two. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, maybe that's it. And I'm just uh -huh. like, come on, guys. It's like, it's supposed. It's called Clownado. And of course, the whole, well, you know, they they were inspired in this and that by Sharknado. Uh, not really. No, I, I mean, I like Sharknado fine. I, I thought it was fun. I like Anthony. You know, he, he's a great filmmaker. I think he does funny stuff and good stuff. But that's not what inspired me. I was, uh, 
I was actually inspired by, um, I had a script called Clowns laying around and clear back in like 95, 96, we had this script we were prepping and, and I always wanted to make a clown movie and it was Clowns with a Z and it was kind of a funny, it was a comedy kind of horror movie and it was kind of like a, it was a different kind of story, but similar, but the clowns were just living dead. You know, they were like these undead clowns and, um, still had a witch in it, still had things like that. All I had to do was kind of take it and revamp it a little bit. And what happened was my friend, Daryl, who's a, a maintenance guy where the studio is here. And he's like one of the managers. And we were talking one day while we were working on something. And I just done bone Hill road. And he goes, you need to do werewolf NATO or something <laughs> like that. Wolf NATO. And he was yeah. just joking. Cause he goes, everything's NATO over there. And we were joking around about it. So then the next day we're talking and he goes, Hey, I came up with one for you. I go, what's that? He goes, clown NATO. And I said, holy crap, I kind of like that. It's ridiculous. It's ludicrous. It's the worst, most horrible thing ever. And it's probably awesome. And I said, what if I could make kind of a cool movie with a real story with that title? And so that's where it became Clownado. And we turned it into what it is now, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing like Sharknado. And some people are mad about that because it's not like clowns flying out of this thing, slamming through windshields. But <laughs> uh-huh. I, I personally like that. It. Yeah, I thought it was. I liked that because I thought it was kind of having fun with the uh, the whole NATO uh, phrase. Right, that's what. It, that's exactly what it was. And and you know we thought let's use this as a mode of transportation for these crazy guys. <laughs> That'd be really funny. And so it, it all it all came about as you know something fun, and it wasn't supposed to be taken so serious. And and I love the fact that you get that. I, I wish more people out there that were critics would get that. It's <laughs> just neat that you know we we've, we've got a lot of good critics, but there's some that are just brutal. Wow, but the mainstream really. But the uh, you know I, I want to thank all the critics who do get it. We've got like fifty something great reviews. I mean that's unbelievable. And uh, you know on, on Bun Hill Road we had like ninety eight point two percent positive reviews, which was really great. So we got some people out there that understand what we're doing, and I want to thank them along with you for really you know getting the point and 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 taking a ride with us and having a good time. That's what it's yeah. about. Yeah, I, some of my uh, filmmakers, like uh, Greg Lamberson, I remember was really putting over the werewolf in Bone Hill Road is, you know, one of the best practical werewolves in movies in a long time, and uh, it was cool that you know to see other other uh, filmmakers really, you know, uh, putting over this crazy werewolf. Yeah, you know that's the thing. I, I really like Greg, and he gets yeah. it. You know, he knows what it's like, and, and we went through hell because we had like an army of werewolves. We had like four suits and a dummy suit, which I called the stunt suit because we had to throw people downstairs and stuff in that suit. And um, we worked really hard and we had a lot of people who basically put those suits in and all we had to do was pay for labor, not, not labor, the, uh, just the fabrication of the suit, the materials. They didn't Mm -hmm. charge us a thing for labor because they believed in the script and what we were trying to do. And they liked the fact that we threw a curve in the middle of the movie. Like it's not just a typical werewolf movie. As a matter of fact, the werewolves I kind of envision is just, Hey man, they're just like any other animal. They're just trying to survive. They're going to eat and you're on their property and you're going to be the food. That's how it worked. But the, the real villain of the piece was a human being. And that's what I thought was cool about it. And the werewolves almost become heroes in a couple of scenes before going back to being hungry werewolves. So <laughs> I'm, I'm a big werewolf fan. It's my favorite monster. I just didn't want to do another story where someone got bit and we follow them around for a while. Then they start to change. And then this happens. And then that happens. I'm like, no, let's go full bore. Let's go in there and be like, Hey, you know, completely different. The werewolves kind of like night of the living dead. I was always inspired by that because in that movie there's zombies. Where'd they come from? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Where, what are they? Why are they? Why are they there? We don't know because honestly we get a couple of moments on the radio saying, well, maybe it was a meteor shower. Maybe it was this, maybe it was mm-hmm. radiation. No one knows. 
so they're all like, no one really knows where those zombies came from, but they're there and they're dangerous. And you've got to figure out a way to survive with them there. And in this case, the werewolves, these, these people got stranded on their hunting ground. That's where, that's their, you know, area. That's, you know, that's very territorial. That's their territory. And so, you know, I don't have a lot of backstory about them. I mean, that they're werewolves. That's who they are now down the road. Like if, if I get to do a sequel someday, I do have a backstory a little bit, but I don't want to like, I didn't want it to be like bogged down with all that crap. I wanted it to be a story about a mom and her kid who get stranded and they go through hell. And that's basically what we did. So a lot of people liked it. And yeah, like Greg, he's a hell of a good guy. He's inspired me when I was young, you know, doing crazy movies yeah. out there on the East coast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a good guy. I go to uh, his, uh, his festival every year, Buffalo dreams, fantastic film festival, very long name, awesome. but it's a, it's a very good uh, festival. It is, and it's very diverse, and uh, and Greg really gives people a chance. You know, he really does because he's been there, and he's still yeah. there in some ways, you know. And and his movies yeah, have, have been through hell too, you know. It's just it's really rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he gets. I think he does the best uh, Q and As I've seen at festivals, and I think it's because he has, uh, you know, decades of uh, experience as an independent filmmaker. So not only does he ask stuff um, that's you know, on the technical side and also distribution stuff. And I don't think, you know, someone without that experience would think to ask a lot of those questions. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, all those, there's so many people like that inspired me out there, man. So many people that, you know, when I was starting out and, uh, and I was feeling like, man, there's no way I'll be able to do this. And those guys were making movies for like no money. And they were good movies like slime city. And you're like, yeah, wow, that movie was out cool, wasn't it? And, you know, uh-huh. you're thinking, you know, you're, you're going, wow. And he, he like Frank Henenlotter, you know, when he started. Yeah, that's one of my guys. favorites. And, of course, Fred Owen Ray. I love Fred. And uh, and I love Jim Wynorski and all those cats. But I've got, like, two different groups of friends, the West Coast guys and the East Coast guys. Uh-huh. I gravitate a little more toward the West Coast guys. It's easier to see them, and it's not cold. And I don't like <laughs> cold, so I'm always going there. But uh-huh. um, it's for me, it's... um. You know, David Dakota introduced me to all these guys when I was very young, and they have been um, really my mentors and my my film school. And I did go to film school. I didn't learn crap. I, I learned everything from these guys. And Fred, you know, inviting me to the set when he's doing these films like these Lifetime movies. I got to go and, and be on the set with Fred and, and observe how things are done. It's a union crew. I'd never got to work with a union crew, but here's a union crew and I'm learning how they do things. And then I can bring it back and, and I can use some of those techniques on my micro budget films and make things easier and more professional each time by going out and, and observing and learning and taking part in other people's films as well. And, mm. and really that's, you know, Greg and those guys, I know they did the same thing. You know, you, you just had to, you had to, and look at Jim Euro. I mean, street trash, right? This yeah. guy is now like the, He's one of the top, you know, steady cam operators in in the world. And mm-hmm. it's like, wow, you know, because he's just, he's amazing. Yeah. Awesome movie. Uh, I'm going to ask a couple questions here real quick. Uh, Douglas Epps wants to know, did you really catch yourself on fire during the almost tornado while filming Bone Hill Road? Um, there really was an almost tornado. Um, that night was a living hell. We literally... If I remember right, there was like nine inches of water dumped on us in three hours. It was, it was like an unheard of amount of water, like, and it happened really bad. And we were in the middle of this farm, in the middle of the country, this farmhouse, and 
literally all the cars were sinking where we had parked them in this field because the, the rain was torrential and the storm and the lightning and we really thought we were all going to get blown away. And I was in the middle of filming a scene and I wanted that flicker of the candlelight in there and everything. And it's a scene where the girl's in the bathtub, if you've seen Bone Hill Road. Mm-hmm. And I leaned over to get this really neat angle, and it was so tight in this bathroom. You have to understand, was a, there's no removable walls. This thing was really, like, four foot wide. It was, like, tight as hell in there. And I'm, like, trying to get this shot. And, yes, I, I suddenly smelled something, and I look over, and I'm ablaze. So I was like, oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> um, that, and and no, if anyone knows anything about the smell of burning hair or flesh, they'll know that it's just not a very nice smell. Uh-huh. So in the middle of the storm, we had to or break feel. and open up yeah. the windows. And, yeah, it felt pretty bad too, but um, it was mainly embarrassing and horrifying. So Douglas, thank you, and I owe you one, you dirty butthole. <laughs> <laughs> Douglas works on our films, so mm-hmm. I, I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. So <laughs> I do great. Yeah, so Clownado's out there. Where can people where can people seek out and find Clownado? It's uh, pretty much everywhere. I mean, it's everywhere where uh, trashy movies are sold, apparently. <laughs> but uh, it's it's pretty much every every retail outlet, every uh, you know Amazon, of course, and all those places, Barnes and Noble, uh, you know, here and there, it's everywhere. And um, so I, you know, anywhere you know, just you could Google it and it'll pop up in all the stores, and that way you'll know where to get it. And it's also you know such a large rollout on downloading. And here's my thing with Bunhill Road, I. I drove everyone nuts, but I still feel that this is the right way. The old school way in the VHS days was you release your physical media and put it out there for the people who want the physical media. And then you go to your cable after that. Like, you you know, you do cable or you do whatever. Yeah. And um, nowadays it's like people want to release the digital first. And that drives me nuts because I, I want people to watch my stuff on a, a, a big screen mm-hmm. or – in a movie theater where, you know, they can enjoy the composition. I don't want necessarily people to watch my movies on a cell phone. I know they do and that's mm-hmm. fine, but I just don't feel like that's where film makers shine is on a cell phone. Yeah. And so I, I don't like that. So on bone Hill, I said, listen, I want at least a 60 day and they, and they accidentally started to release it at the same time. And I raised hell and to my distributors credit while I releasing Rob said, okay, okay. He called him and said, get that off there, pull it. And they were like, what the hell? But I was a pain in the ass, but I, I was that way for a reason. Now, Clownado, I guess basically um, because of the situations going on in, in, in the business and everything else, Rob was like, we're going to have to do the same day and date, Todd. We're going to have to do something. Well, it got out about a week earlier than physical release was supposed to hit. And, of course, the minute it got out, it was like Pirate Central, which I knew would happen. And um, But more than that, it was just, you know, it was a huge rollout. I can't really complain because there was 9 million, every place you can imagine for digital, even the big boys, we got in there, you know, because they liked, they said it was, you know, it, it had a good quality to it and they liked the film. So it got in there, but it still upset me because I still wanted the physical media to come out first. And I still believe that. And also there's a lot less piracy that way. I mean, it's so easy that these same people who developed the software for streaming must, they must sell this this technology to the bad guy because the same day that the new technology comes out, they've already got a way to break it. They've already got a way to, to suck your movie down there. And even these sites that say, Oh, well you're safe here. No one can, no one can steal your stream here. Bull, they're stealing it. And so, um, it was really bad because like in the first week I had over 70, almost it was like 68, um, illegal posts on just YouTube alone 
that we had to go after. Now, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of effort. And it's a lot of crap for my lawyer to have to deal with and Wildeye's lawyer. And it's just, but you have to do it because these guys, for some reason, think that all this work and all this money and all this time that you put in, they're entitled to it. Yeah. They're, they're entitled to steal your stuff. And so that's why I, I know getting on it, I don't mean to go on a tangent, but mm, I just don't right. really like the digital thing so much. And, and the funny thing is I was told by numerous people that the studios have technology to stop this, mm-hmm. but they're not going to stop this because the pirates are helping the studios because they're weeding out us because even though we're only taking a small chunk, we're still taking money away from the big studios. People would still rather watch an independent movie or a low budget movie than the same homogenized crap that's at the theater every 42 seconds. So they look at them as a necessary evil. They're like, yeah, well we may lose a few thousand bucks, but we're actually not losing anything because they're getting rid of all of our competition because they know people like me, we can't afford to lose even a small amount of money. A studio can afford to lose 10 grand. We can't mm-hmm. because that's the entire budget that we have to pay back to somebody that we've borrowed money from our investors. And then if we can't pay our investors back, we don't get to make more movies, you know? So they're eliminating them, the little guy. And we've seen it for years. They used to do it with the movie theaters. They would actually go in and tell the movie theaters, well, if you want this movie and you're not going to carry these movies. And Disney even did that crap with Netflix. Disney mm-hmm. goes in and says, well, you're going to have to clean some of these movies out because we don't want our movies on a service that carries these movies that are borderline, you know, snuff or pornography or whatever they called them. They were not very nice. And, and so if you remember, Netflix got rid of a bunch of B movies, like a bunch of really gory movies yeah. and a bunch of like the sex comedies. They were all gone. There was no porn, but they got rid of them. And that's because Disney demanded that or they wouldn't allow them to have a contract. And then once they had the contract, then Disney screwed them over and went and started their own network. Now Netflix (laughs) Uh has fallen apart because they don't have anything on there that people want to see anymore. And -hmm. that's exactly the thing, though. These big guys, I mean, you can't really blame them. It's their bread and butter. But at the same time, man, there's room for all of us. There's always been room for all of us. But I remember back when they used to try to do that with theaters. And that's why the drive-ins became so popular because – um, in the indoor theaters were all pretty much ran by studios at that point, just by strong arming everybody. Mm-hmm. And so the drive-ins flourished and why did they flourish? Why did, were they so popular? Because they played the movies that the, the big, like the, the theater chains and the, and the, and the indoor theaters wouldn't play. And so, and then the ones that did play it were like grindhouses and they didn't care about Disney anyway. Yeah. So that's why, you know, that's why I think this is going on. And that's why, I'm so against this whole immediate streaming thing. And, and I know people want it and I get it. It's, it's, it's a different kind of world. No one wants to get off their butts and go into a store anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone wants everything for free too. So I get it. You know, they're like, well, I, I, I just want to watch this movie and I don't care. But mm-hmm. you know, think, next time you try to steal a movie, just think about the guy who made it and all the people who made it. There's probably 40 or 50 people on that crew and actors and everything else. And they'll never get to make another movie if you keep doing this. And then what a horror fan's going to do, right? Mm-hmm. Because they want new product all the time, and guess what? There ain't going to be any. Yeah, and yeah. We're, we're all we're all we're all broke. There's no money. We can't get any investors. There's not going to be any. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been uh, I've been banned from uh, horror movie groups when I've said you know people would share you know um, torrent links, and I say you know this this isn't a good way to support the movie, whatever. and like they would attack me and ban me, and it's, it was oh, I'd be like too. so strange. Yeah. I'm outspoken about it. I was just in a group the other day and I said, look, I don't mean any offense to you as a human being, mm-hmm. but this is bullet. 
I said BS. I'm not going to cuss on your show, but I said it. And I was like, listen, because this is, this is not, listen, if you say you're a horror fan, you're not a fan if you're stealing. Yeah. You're just not. And because I, I'm a Lucio Fulci fanatic. I've never stolen a single movie that Lucio Fulci directed because I have more respect than that. You know, somebody somewhere poured a lot of money and a lot of heart and a lot of time into that movie. They deserve to be able to make another one. I've never taken a single salary in 31 years of making movies, not a single salary. And I pour it all right back into the movie. I pay back our investors and I put that money back into the movies and I I buy new equipment. I try to stay competitive. That's what, and nowadays you have to, because every five seconds there's a new K thrown on. Oh, I got a new 2K camera. That's good. A week later, it's 5K. What's going on? Now it's 7K. What's going on? 9K. Forget about it. So uh, you have to do that. You have to reinvest in yourself. And you're not going to be able to do any of that if people keep stealing all your movies. And and to me, if you're a real fan like I am, mm-hmm. you don't steal stuff from people. You support the genre. It's only 10 bucks, man. Mm-hmm. Grab it. Do it. Support yeah. the genre. And, even, and if you did want to... Uh... A lot of the VOD stuff, some of that's only like a, a two dollars or something. Right. Yeah, buck. do that. Yeah. Right. Do that. Do anything. I mean, you know, the funny thing is, we get six cents per hour from Amazon. Do people really think we're getting rich here? Six mm-hmm. cents per hour. You go watch Bone Hill Road. We get six cents per hour. Okay, on Prime. So, mm-hmm. if you're a Prime member, you can watch a lot of these movies for free. Yeah. Because you're already paying for it, and then the filmmaker gets a small percentage of that. So we're, you know, we're getting, okay, well, like I said, six cents. Now, when it first comes out, it's three ninety nine. It's just like going to your video store and renting a movie. You're only out three ninety nine. Instead of stealing it, like, hey, Slime City 4 just came out. Okay, instead of ripping it off, go and pay $4 or $3 or even $2, like you said, mm-hmm. and just watch the movie. And, and if you like it, great. If you don't, you're only out two bucks. Right. Come on, you'll spend more than that on stupid stuff. So yeah. that's what <laughs> like on a, on a Gatorade or something. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, instead of buying a donut, just watch it. Slime city four. That's why you're there. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, and then, you know what, even though it's not much, it's a little bit of something and that'll go back to Greg and he'll be able to give it to his investor and maybe mm-hmm. he'll be able to make a slime city five. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. You know, just try to support each other out there. Like I support other Indiegogo's or Kickstarters or what, you know, if I see one of my buddies or someone that, Hey man, let me throw in a few bucks. I may not even have any money, but I'll give you $20, you know, whatever I got. Just because I'm like, let me see if I can help because I know it's fucking hard. And and so, you know, support each other. Let's all, you know, this is a big family here and the horror genre is really not well thought of by a lot of people. I mean, they're trying to get rid of it as much as they can. And uh, I remember I was never into porn. You know, I never liked it. And I remember one time I said to Dave Dakota, I said, man, I'm just not into that stuff. You know, I don't even know why they got to sell it. He goes, listen, Leave the porn alone, because if it gets taken out, you're next. They're coming after the horror movies. <laughs> That's true. And he was absolutely right. Uh-huh. The anime and the horror movies. That's the, of course we're destroying America, but it's um you know that's that's what they're after a lot here in the Midwest to where I'm at. It's a Bible Belt. They pick at movies. They do crazy stuff here. They get them yanked out of stores. They pick it in Best Buy till they take the horror movies out. Stuff like that. That really happens, guys. That really happens. So when you have a chain that's willing to take your movie. Horror fans, support them. You know, everybody support each other. Support the chains that take the horror movies. Support the stores that sell the horror movies. You know, get out there and, and help each other out. And, and no, none of this infighting and none of this stealing. And just all work together. Yeah. Very well said. And I totally agree. 
So, um, Clownado, guys, go check it out. And it's been a, it's been great having you on the show, and we should do it again sometime if you're if you're into it. Always, always, man. I love what you do. I love your show. I love your your whole network. I love everything that goes on with you guys. And um, and like I said, I don't I don't blow smoke, man. I'm a straight shooter. Any, anyone probably that's in the chat or or wherever when they ask you questions, they can tell you that I am. I am very blunt. I don't BS, and and I when I tell you that I really do appreciate you, I really mean it. You, you, anytime you want me, I'm there. You know, you just give me the word. All right, sounds good. So join us next week when Todd Sheets re- returns here. No, no, but, well. <laughs> pretty soon people will be like, "Quit bringing that jerk on your show." <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, for some reason, this is like years of the making. I think. I think we had you. Uh, set up a few times and for some reason never happened but i'm glad it's happened and we'll definitely do it again thank you brother i appreciate it very much thanks and uh have a good rest of the night night. you too you too buddy take care you do well bye bye